Chapter 12 of A Bullet for Cinderella by John D. MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I awoke at dawn. It was still raining. It seemed to be raining harder than before. I was surprised that I had been able to go to sleep. I took a hot shower to work the stiffness out of my muscles. The small cuts stung. My face in the mirror looked like the face of a stranger, with sunken eyes and flat, taut cheeks. I prayed that Ruth was still alive. I prayed that she had lived through the night. I knew what would have happened the previous night had I not found Cindy. I would be lying dead on the floor. They would find me there. I shaved and dressed and left the motel. I got uncomfortably wet in the ten feet from the motel door to the car door. I drove slowly into town, the lights on, peering ahead through the heavy rain curtain. I drove through town and found a gas station open on the far side. I had the car gassed up. Farther along I found an all-night bean wagon. A disc jockey in Reading was giving the seven o'clock news. The plastic radio was behind the counter. As yet on the disappearance of Ruth Stamm, only daughter of Dr. Buxton Stamm of Hilston, it is believed that the young woman was abducted by a man named Earl Fitzmartin, Marine veteran and ex-prisoner of war. Fitzmartin had been employed for the past year by George Warden, Hilston businessman. Fitzmartin was a newcomer to Hilston. George Warden committed suicide this week. But certain peculiarities about the circumstances of Warden's suicide have led Hilston police to believe that it may have been murder. Yesterday, the Hilston police, assisted by Gordon County police officers, searched a summer cottage once owned by George Warden and found under a cement garage floor the bodies of Eloise Warden, wife of George Warden, and Henry Fulton of Chicago. At the time of the Warden woman's disappearance two years ago, it was believed she had run off with Fulton. Discovery of the bodies and of the Fulton car, which had been driven into the lake in deep water, has led police to believe that George Warden killed both of them after finding them together at the summer cottage. An intensive search is being made for Fitzmartin and Miss Stam. Full details of the case have not yet been released, but it is believed that there is some connection between Fitzmartin and the bodies discovered yesterday at the summer cottage. It is expected that federal authorities will be called in on the case today. Miss Ruth Stam is 26 years old, 5 feet 8 inches tall, and weighs about 128 pounds. She has dark red hair and gray eyes, and was last seen wearing a dark green skirt and a white cardigan sweater. Fitzmartin is about 30 years old, 6 feet tall, weighs about 180 pounds. He has very blonde, almost white hair, pale gray eyes. He may be driving a black Ford, license BB67063. Anyone seeing persons of this description should contact the police at once. Listen again at 8 o'clock to WRED for complete local news. The disc jockey stopped and whistled softly. How about that, folks? They give me this stuff to read, and sometimes I read it and don't even listen, but that's a hot one. That one can grab you. Bodies under concrete, cars and lakes, suicides that aren't suicides, a red-headed gal and an ex-marine. Man, that's a crazy mixed-up deal they've got down there in Hilston. That's all the makings of a national-type crime. Well, back to the mines. Got to spin some of this stuff. But before I do, let me tell you a little something you ought to know, you good folks out there, about the Atlas Laundry and Dry Cleaning people right here in Reading, over on Downey Street. If you've got clothes you're really proud of, and I guess we've all got one set of those good threads at least, then you... 
The fat young girl behind the counter turned off the radio. Fat character, she said amiably to me. Ten minutes of commercials between every number. Drive you nuts. I just turned him on for the news. If you want, I can turn him back on or find something else. No, thanks. How about that Stam girl? I met her once. We had this dog, see? Got him when he was a puppy. But this highway, it's bad to try to have a dog when you live on the highway. He got himself hit, and we took him to Stam's. The girl was real nice. Pretty sort of girl. But Blackie was too far gone. Busted his back so they had to give him a shot. Honest, I cried. And you know what I think? I think it's a big deal for those two. I think maybe she ran off with that Marine. You can figure she wasn't getting any younger. She'll hear about all this mess she's causing and she'll get in touch. That's just what will happen. Could be, I said. Of course it could be. You want more coffee, maybe? Sometimes I think I'd run off with anybody asked me just to get out of this rat race. That's in my bad days. Isn't this day a stinker, though? It keeps coming down like this. Every creek in the county will be flooded. It gives me the creeps to think about those two buried under a garage floor all that time. I never knew her, but my sister knew her. She was in the high school with her before my time. My sister says she did a lot of running around. The way I see it, mister, if a husband catches his wife and another man, he's got a right to kill the two of them. It's like what they say, the unwritten law. When I get married, I'm not going to do any cheating. I guess it isn't so bad if a man does a little cheating. They're all alike. Beg your pardon. But no woman with a home and a husband and everything has any right to jump the fence. Don't you think so? He made his big mistake burying the two of them like he did. He should have just got on the phone and said to the police, You boys come out here and see what I did and why. Then it would have just been what they say, formalities. The way I look at it, I was saved by two truck drivers who came in from the big red combo that had just parked in front of the place. After she served them, she came back, but I had finished. As she gave me my change, she said, You remember what I told you now? That girl and that Marine ran off someplace. Drive carefully. I drove on through the rain. The cars I met were proceeding with great care. It should have been full daylight, but it hadn't gotten appreciably lighter since full dawn. It was almost nine o'clock before I got to Reading. I parked near a drug store and phoned her number from a booth at the back of the store. She answered the phone at once. Hello. This is Tao. I'm sorry. I'm afraid you have the wrong number. I'll be there at ten, just like you said. That's perfectly all right. She hung up. Her last comment had been the tip-off. Somebody was there with her. She had answered as though I had apologized. I wondered if it would be all set for ten. I wondered if I dare try again. I went to the drugstore counter and had coffee. The counter was emptying rapidly as people went to work. I bought a Reading paper. The discovery of the bodies had been given a big play. The article filled in a little more background than the radio item, but essentially it was the same. At 9.30 I tried again. She answered on the second ring. Hello? This is Tal again. Yes? Is this deal off or on? What goes on? Shall I be there at ten? This coming Saturday? No, I'm very sorry. I have a date. I'm in a payphone. The number is 46040. I'll wait right here until you can call me back. No, I'm so sorry. Maybe some other time. 
Give me a ring. Phone as soon as you can. Thank you. Goodbye. I took a booth near the phone booths. I went and got my paper and ordered more coffee. I waited. Two people used the booth. At five minutes to ten, the call came. Hello? Is that you, Tal? I couldn't talk before. I'm glad you phoned. Make it ten-fifteen. What does your watch say? Exactly four minutes of. Don't park out back. Park a block away. Start up at exactly ten-fifteen and go slow. When you see me coming, unlatch the door. Don't waste time getting away from there. I began to be more nervous. I had no way of knowing what she was mixed up in. I knew her playmates would be hard people. I didn't know how closely they would be watching her. The rain had begun to let up a little. I parked a block away from her apartment house. I could see it. I kept the motor running. I kept an eye on my watch. At exactly 10.15, I started up. I drove slowly. I saw a man in a trench coat across the street from the apartment house leaning against a phone pole. As I drew even with the apartment house, slowing down, she came running. I swung the door open. I didn't stop. She piled into the car. She wore a dark coat, a black hat with a veil, and carried a brown case like a dispatch case. Hurry, she ordered. Her voice was shrill, frightened. I speeded up. She was looking back. I heard a hoarse shout. Keep going, she ordered. He's running for his car. It's headed the wrong way. They posted a man in back. I didn't know it until yesterday afternoon. A light ahead turned red. There was cross traffic. I ran the light. Tires yelped and horns blatted with indignation. I barely made the next light. She kept watching back over her shoulder. It took fifteen minutes to get to the southbound highway, the road to Hillston. Once we were out on the highway and I was able to open it up a little, she turned around. I glanced at her. Her left eye was badly puffed and discolored. Her left cheek was bruised. I remembered the story of the small girl who had stayed home from school because her brother had blacked her eye. What happened to your face? I got bounced around a little. People got annoyed at me. What the hell have you been mixed up in? Don't worry about it. I'd like to know how much chance I was taking. You weren't taking it. I was taking it. They didn't want me to leave. Anybody leaves, they get the idea there's a subpoena in the background, and a committee, and an investigation. They were careless. I learned too much. So they had a problem. Do they kill me or watch me? They watched me. I'm stupid, I guess. I was having a big time. I thought I could pull out any time. I didn't know they played so rough. If I'd guessed it could be that rough, I wouldn't have gotten that far in. You can't go back, then. I can't ever go back. Don't make jokes. Just drive as fast as you can. She had changed in the short time since I'd seen her. There had been a lot of arrogance about her, confidence and arrogance, and a flavor of enjoyment. And that was gone. She was bitter and half-frightened and sullen. I drove. The rain finally stopped. The sky had a yellow look. Tires made a wet sound on the road. The ditches were full. We went through a village. Children romped in the schoolyard under the yellow sky. I did not like what I was going to have to do to her. She had given me a certain measure of trust. She had no way of knowing that the stakes had changed. She could not know that I was willing to betray her, that I had to betray her. I knew I could not risk taking her to the motel. She would want her luggage first of all. She would want to check on the money. 
It was gone. She would want an explanation, and there was no explanation I could give her. I would betray her. But it was the money balanced against Ruth's life. It seemed fantastic that I could have seriously considered going away with this woman who sat so silently beside me, fists clenched nervously against the dark fabric of her skirt. It seemed fantastic that I could have gotten wound up in the whole thing. Charlotte was several lifetimes in the past. When I had come home I had felt half alive. Now I was entirely alive. I knew what I wanted and why, and knew that I would go to any lengths to get what I wanted. "'Are you serious in thinking they would kill you?' I asked. She laughed, a single, short, flat sound. "'I know where the body is buried. Ever hear that expression? It was a party I didn't want to go to in the first place. I knew it would be a brawl. It was. A man got himself killed. He got too excited. Not a bad guy. Young guy. Rich family. Got a big whomp out of running around with the rougher element, you know?' Like to know people by their first name, the ones who had been in jail. Like to be able to get his parking tickets fixed. He got suddenly taken dead. Sort of an accident. A very important fellow shot him in the head. I was the only outsider. I know where they put him. The family has spent a fortune in the last five years looking for their kid. They're still looking. It could be very bad. It was very bad at the time. I'd never seen anything like that before. They would kill you? If they think I'll talk, if they were sure of it and had a chance, there wouldn't be much heat over me, not over this pair of round heels. The kid they killed is real heat. The man with the gun was drunk. I was with the man with the gun. The kid thought he was too drunk to know or care. He had his arms around me when he was shot in the head. When the bullet hit his head, he grabbed onto me so hard I couldn't breathe for a week without it hurting. Then he let go and fell down and tried to get up and went down for good. It was at a farm. They put him in an old cistern and filled it with big rocks. They had his car repainted and sold through channels. If nothing happens in six months or so, they'll stop worrying about me, and maybe they'll stop looking. But I know what I'm going to do. Blonde dye job. Maybe glasses. I feel better if I don't look like myself. I was wondering how I could keep her away from the motel and still stall long enough to get to the Rossi place at one. She helped out by saying suddenly, "'What's been going on down in Hillstead, anyhow? Eloise and her boyfriend under the cement. That stam girl missing. George knocking himself off. Sounds like it's been pretty wild down there.' "'I want to talk to you about that.' I sensed a new wariness about her. "'Just what do you mean?' I'm new in town. There's been a lot going on. I haven't had anything to do with it. I mean, I've been in on it as a bystander, but that's all. But the police like to keep busy. I think it would be better if we didn't go back through town to the motel. I think it would be better if we went after the money first. You could be picked up? I might be. But what for? I don't like this. If they pick you up, they pick me up. And word would get back to Reading too damn fast. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. I don't like it. I can't help that. I think we ought to go after the money. When we get it, we can circle around town and get to the motel from the south. Then we can pick up our luggage and be on our way. Then that means spending too much time in the area with the money on us. Why don't we circle around and get the baggage first? 
Then when we get the money, we're on our way. They know where I'm staying. Suppose they're waiting there to pick us up. Damn it! How did you manage to mess this up, Tal Howard? I didn't mess it up. It isn't a big city. I'm a stranger. They're after a man named Fitzmartin. I remember that name. You said he knows about the money, too. He doesn't know where it is. You're the only one who knows where it is. Why are they after him? On account of the girl? They think he took her? And they think he was blackmailing George because he found out about Eloise and her boyfriend being dead. And they think he killed George and maybe a private detective named Grassman. Busy little man, isn't he? That puts me in the picture because the three of us, Fitz, Timmy, and I, were in the same prison camp. I knew this was going to be a mess. I knew it. Don't be such a pessimist. Why the hell didn't you bring all this stuff along right in the car? Why didn't you check out? If I checked out, they'd be looking already. I suppose so. But you could have brought my stuff anyway. I didn't think of that. You don't seem to think much of anything, do you? Don't get nasty. It isn't going to help. Everything gets messed up. I was all right. Now I'm out on a limb. I should be laughing. I think we ought to get the money first. I can't go like this. I don't want to ruin these clothes. Ruin your clothes? Where are we going? Never mind that. You haven't got anything but good clothes, and I stopped too suddenly. So you had to poke around, she said, vibrating with anger. Did you have a good time? Did you like what you saw? It's nice stuff. I know it's nice. Sometimes it wasn't so nice earning it, but I know it's nice. I have good taste. Did you count the money? Attractive color, don't you think? Green? I counted it. It better all be there. And the jewelry better all be there, every damn stone. The jewelry more than the money. A lot of people thought it was junk jewelry. It isn't. It's worth three or four times the money. It's all there. It's safe. It better be. I can't go in these clothes. We'll have to go somewhere where I can pick up some jeans. I thought I could buy them in Hilston. Now you can't go into Hilston, so where do we go? You know the area better than I do. Let me think a minute. She told me where to turn. We made a left heading east, twenty miles north of Hilston. It was a narrow, busy road. Ten miles from the turn was the town of Westonville, a small, grubby town with a narrow main street. I circled a block until I found an empty meter. I watched her walk away from the car. Men turned to look at her. Men would always turn to look at that walk. I went into a drugstore and came back with cigarettes. She was back in about ten minutes with a brown parcel. All right, she said. Let's go. I've got what I need. We headed back toward the Redding Road. She said, Find a place where you can get off the road. I want to change into this stuff. How about a head there, on the left, that little road? I turned up the little road, she pointed out. We passed two dreary farmhouses. The road entered a patch of woods. I turned onto an old lumber road. The clay was greasy under the wheels. After we went around a bend, I stopped. She opened the door on her side and got out. She bent over the seat and undid the parcel. She took out a pair of burnt orange slacks, some cheap sneakers, and a woolly yellow sweatshirt. She took the black suit jacket off and folded it and put it on the back seat. The odd light of the yellow sky came down through the trees. The leaves dripped. 
She undid her skirt at the side and stepped out of it carefully. There was no coyness about her, not the slightest flavor of modesty. She did not care whether I stared at her or averted my eyes. She folded the skirt and put it with the jacket. She took her blouse off and put it carefully on the back seat. She stood there in the woodland in black hat with veil, black shoes, skimpy oyster-white bra, and panties, looking both provocative and ridiculous. The hat was last. She gave me a wry look and said, Strip tease all fresco. Aren't you supposed to stamp your feet or something? Aren't you cold? I'm a warm-blooded thing. She put the woolly, baggy sweatshirt on, then stepped into the slacks and pulled them up around her full hips and fastened them with zipper and buttons. She sat on the car seat and took off her black shoes and put them in back and put on the sneakers and laced them up. Good God! I haven't had clothes like this in years. How do I look, Tal? I couldn't tell her how she looked. It wasn't a return of the girl who had gone on the bike trips with Timmy. I would have guessed it would have made her look younger and fresher but it didn't. Her body was too ripe, her eyes and mouth too knowing. The years had taken her beyond the point where she could wear such clothes and look young. She read the look in my eyes. Not so good, I guess. Not good at all. You don't have to say it. You look fine. Don't be a damn fool. Wait a minute while I use the facilities and then we'll get out of here. She went off into the woods out of sight of the car. She was back in a few minutes. I backed out. I looked at my watch. The time problem had been nearly solved. It was a little past 12.15. I pulled into the yard of the Doyle place, the Rossi place where she had been born. I saw that the boy had finished painting the boat. It looks even worse than I remember, she said. She got out of the car and went toward the porch. The chickens were under the porch. The dog lay on the porch. He thumped his tail. Antoinette leaned over and scratched him behind the ear. He thudded the tail with more energy. Her sister came to the doorway, dirty towel in her hand. "'Hello, Anita,' Antoinette said calmly. "'What are you doing here? Doyle don't even want you coming around here. You know that.' "'Blank, Doyle,' Antoinette said. "'Don't use that kind of language with kids in the house. I'm warning you.' The girl who had cried came up behind her mother and stared at us. You're so damn cautious about the kids, Antoinette said with contempt. Hi there, Sandy. Hi, the girl said in a muted voice. You give the kids such a nice home and all, Anita. I do what I can. It's the best I can. Look at the way she's dressed. I sent money. Why don't you spend some of it on clothes? Or does Doyle drink it? There's no reason for her to wear her good stuff around the house. What do you want here, anyway? What did you come around here for?" She gestured toward me with her head. He was here asking about you. I told him where to look. I guess he found you there all right. In the big sinful city. Good God, Anita, come off it. It eats on you that you never figured it out right. You never worked it so you got up there. Now you've got Doyle. And look at you. You're fat, and you're ugly, and you're dirty. The child began to cry again. Anita turned and slapped her across the face and sent her back into the house. She turned back to Antoinette, her face pale. You can't come in my house. I wouldn't put my foot in that shack, Anita. Are the oars in the shed? What do you want with oars? 
I'm taking that boat. There's something I want to show my friend. What do you mean? You can't use any of the boats. Maybe you want to try and stop me. I'm using a boat. I'm taking a boat. You go out on the river today, you'll drown yourself. Look at it. Take a good look at it. We turned and looked at the river. The gray water raced by. It had a soapy look. The boil of the current looked vicious. I've been out in worse than that, and you know it. Is the shed locked? No, Anita said sullenly. Come on, Tal, Antoinette said. I followed her into the shed. She selected a pair of oars, measured them to make certain she had mates. We went to the overturned boat. We righted it. It was heavy. She tried the oars and the locks to be certain they would fit. She got on one side and I got on the other, and we slid the boat stern first down the muddy bank to the water. We put it half in the water. The current caught at it, boiling around the stern. Antoinette straightened up and looked at the river. Anita was watching us from the porch. The pale face of the little girl watched us from a cracked window. It's pretty damn rough, Antoinette said. We won't have much trouble getting down to the island. Island? Right down there. See it? That's where we're going. The island was about three hundred yards downstream. It was perhaps three hundred feet long and half as wide. It was rocky and wooded. It split the river into two narrow areas of roaring turbulence. I don't think we can make it back to here. We can walk the boat down the shore and land further down when we leave, then walk back up to the car and tell them where the boat is. They can get it when the river quiets down. The worst part is going to be right at the start. Let's get it parallel to the shore, Tal. We struggled with the boat. She slipped on the muddy bank and sat down hard and cursed. I held the stern. The bow was pointed downstream. Shall I row? I asked over the sound of water. I'm used to it. Wait until I get set. When I say go, you get into the stern. She got in and put the oars in the locks, held them poised. She nodded to me. I got in. The current caught us. It threatened to spin the boat, but she got it quickly under control. It wasn't necessary to row. She watched over her shoulder and guided us by fast alternate dips of the oars. She was quick and competent. As we neared the island, the fast current split. She dipped both oars and gave a single hard pull that sent us directly at the island. The boat ran ashore, the bow wedging in the branches and rubble that had caught there on the shelving shore, brought down river by the hard rains. She was out quickly and pulled the boat up farther. I jumped out onto the shore and stood beside her. Her eyes were wide and sad and thoughtful. We used to come here a lot. Come on. I followed her. We pushed through thickets and came to a steep path. They had come to the island often and so had a lot of other people, leaving behind them empty rusting beer cans, broken bottles, sodden paper plates, waxed paper, tinfoil, empty cigarette packs. The path climbed between rocks. She walked quickly. She stopped at a high point. I came up beside her. It was the highest point of the rocky island, perhaps sixty feet above the level of the river. We stood behind a natural wall of rock. It came to waste level. I could see the shack see Anita in the distance walking heavily across the littered yard, see the gleam of my car through the leaves. Look, Antoinette said sharply. I looked where she pointed. A flat-bottomed boat was coming down the river. It was caught in the current and it spun. 
The man, kneeling in the stern, using a single oar as a rudder, brought it under control. A dingy red boat under a yellow sky and a soapy gray river, and the man on the boat had pale hair. He came closer, and I saw his face. He looked up and saw us. To him we were outlined against the yellow sky. Then the dwarf trees screened him. He landed on the island, Antoinette said. I knew he had landed. I knew he had watched us. I guessed that he had gotten hold of a boat and waited on the opposite shore. Fitzmartin would not take the chance of trusting me. Maybe he couldn't. Maybe Ruth was dead. That's Fitzmartin, I said. She stared at me. Her eyes were hard. You arranged this? No, honestly. I didn't arrange it. What does he know? Why did he follow us? I think he's guessed we're after the money. She leaned calmly against the rock and folded her arms. All right, Tal. This is the end of it. You and your friend can hunt for it. Have fun. I'll be damned if I'll tell you where it is. I took her by the shoulders and shook her. Don't be a damn fool. That man is insane. I mean that. He's killed two people, maybe three. You can't just wait for him and say you won't tell him. You think he'll just ask you politely? After he gets his hands on you, you'll tell him? She pushed my hands away. I saw the doubt in her expression. I tried to explain what Fitzmartin was. She looked down the path the way we'd come. She bit her lip. Come on, then, she said. Can we circle around and get to the boat? This is better, she said. I followed her. End of chapter 12